hello again, uh, PS community. This is Mark Carlton. Uh, ne- our next uh, episode, our next installment in the People of PS podcast. I think this is going to be a great one. Uh, one of the true unsung heroes of the Presbyterian School community, uh, Officer Mike Garcia. Did anybody know that your last name was Garcia? Because you wear the, you know, you wear the uh, the, the tactical, vest and yeah. the tactical. <laughs> it's like Mike. Yeah, Mike. Officer Mike does have does have a last name. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk to to Mike today. Uh, get to know him a little bit better, and uh, you know, I think you'll find out there's some fascinating things that you don't know uh, about Mike, and I, and I hope that uh, we'll get into some of that. So yeah, so Mike, we typically start off with a little bit of a five-minute autobiography. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? How did you find yourself sitting here today? Awesome. So my, my tale is a little tragic and full of woe. It started on a dark, gloomy night. <laughs> uh, no, so actually I was born on a Holy Thursday. Uh, I got four brothers, uh, grew up in the Houston area, uh, started out going to school in the Maryland area because uh, uh, my uncle, somebody that I looked up to because uh, I came from a single parent household with my mother and she raised four boys and um, started out in Maryland at a Herod Elementary and then as I progressed to middle school and high school I found myself you know, having to go to different areas because of magnet schools and vanguard schools. So I wound up in the southeast at uh, Hartman Middle School. So uh, there I started my music career. Uh, All right, so I hope everybody's listening. Yes. M- musical mic. So right I, was, I was a musician. I started with the trumpet, actually a cornet, which is a smaller version of a trumpet. And uh, back then it was a uh, school-owned instrument. So this trumpet, this cornet, uh, it smelled like 15 years of just, <laughs> you know, people using it. So uh, it, it kind of pushed me to get my own instrument eventually. But, uh, yeah, that's where I started my music career. And as I progressed, I went from trumpet to cornet to uh, saxophone which uh, was really interesting because nobody in my family ever played music. So uh, it was a first time for me, and, you know, I just had to navigate it through, you know, everything kind of by myself because, you know, going home and talking about omnishers and notes and scales was, you know, like a foreign language in my house. So uh, after that, found myself at Jones High School. Um, a little bit about Jones is uh, before Carnegie became its own school, Carnegie used to be the vanguard program at Jones. So that's where I found myself. Jones is located in the southeast area. It's uh, predominantly um, African-American. So uh, it, was, it wasn't a, a complete culture shock, but it kind of was. So uh, I progressed my music career there, and lo and behold, in the 11th grade, I actually became drum major of a show band, which is predominantly you have to dance, you have to have some form of rhythm. So give, so give us a, like, so show band like something that people might have seen so we're we're talking about uh i guess in the movie genre close to drumline okay so drumline would be you're dancing you're playing music that's typically off the radio pop culture rap hip-hop so you had to be on two and four because one and three beats weren't (laughs) going to cut it so that's where i found myself so uh, junior year so my junior year after i did two years with the marching band um and from then, I developed to uh, trombone and baritone, learning my bass instruments. And uh, b- uh, trombone for me was a, was a lot 
harder than any other instrument I played because uh, I'm typically small in stature. I have, you know, little arms. <laughs> so to get to that last vowel was just like, it's not going to work, but I didn't let it deter me. I actually uh, invented a contraption where I can throw it out and kind of hook it back in. So, so that's uh, a little, for those of you listening at home, that's a think, make, talk yeah, activity so, for, for Mike right there. So definitely my band director was one of those guys that told me that I, I'm not going to see a problem I can't overcome. And uh, he just kind of just pushed me to do different things and I eventually as being a drum major I had to teach music to the class how to sight read you know I had to write music for our show tunes so uh, it was it was pretty awesome experience so from then on so no wait a minute wait okay so wait we got we're in the show band I got to stop you there right so uh, so you're the drum major yeah take us back there so this is probably what like 20 years ago I'm yeah. guessing right yeah so maybe 80 pounds ago too <laughs> throw <laughs> Throw us a like. What was a what was a song that you guys did that just that brought the house down? So typically we played a lot of Missy Elliott. So um, can't stand the rain, different things like that. Hot Boys was uh, something that was on the uh, radio back then, ninety-seven nine. So when I talk about show band, I'm talking about full out dancing. Your hips are moving. Uh, <laughs> one thing about drum majors too is we had a uh, we had a move that we had to do during every intro. So our intro is basically featuring us as we're getting onto the field. And it's typically a 15 to 30 second piece just so that we can go out and just, you know, dance, completely get the crowd hype. So one of the moves that we did after every drum major intro was called a backbend. And basically what you did is you used the inner part of your heels, uh, you, you arched them to leverage all your body weight, and you bent all the way back you know, in a rhythmic motion, and you touched your head, no, no kind of hat, you touched your head to the ground. So you had to be very nimble, very agile, Mike, and Mike, you had I'm to have rhythm. I'm ask you this a tough question. Can you, can you still do that today, Mike? <sighs> I, I, I would do it on duty only because if I got hurt, I could get paid while I'm, while I'm nursing my injuries for the next year and a half. So I, I try it on duty. Uh, on duty. <laughs> on, only on duty. Only on right? duty. All right, so you, so you finish up high school. You're the drum major. So finish up high school. Uh, I'm not trying to pursue a, uh, a music career or, or dabble in music because from the get-go, um, back in elementary school, we used to have this thing called patrols, safety patrols. So nowadays, you know, you see crossing guards that are employed with the schools, but back then it was a different world. So we used to be able to cross kids ourselves. So that kind of like directed me into... Um, not necessarily law enforcement, but, you know, the rank and file of, you know, answering to somebody, being a subordinate, you know, taking responsibility. So that's when I kind of got the niche, that I knew I wanted to help people, I knew I wanted to do law enforcement. And along the way, I've met officers and different people that have kind of guided me towards uh, my career and my calling now. But, um, yeah, so that's, I automatically knew I didn't want to do music, but music was a great way to get a scholarship. So I applied to a bunch of schools, and I got a full ride to Prairie View University. Uh, Mr. Harrison's alma mater, by the way. Me and him always have discussions about this. I think I win, but we'll let y'all be the judge. Um, <laughs> so that's the Prairie View. That's the Prairie View A&M. But that's the mascot is the the Panthers. Panthers. Yes, uh, that's right. <laughs> Go Panthers. Go Panthers. Yeah. So um, so I went to Prairie View and. Um, once again, predominantly African-American school. It's an HBCU, which is a historic black college and university. So um, I didn't have as much of a culture shock since I'd already been at uh, Hartman and at Jones High School. So when I got there, 
I mean, they told me I didn't have to do a music major, that I could pursue political science, but my classes and my counselor were under a different impression. So my tenure at Prairie View wasn't long. I ended up coming back to Texas Southern, which is also an HBCU, uh, Tiger, by the way. And uh, I got into the marching band there only because I could transition to various instruments, which helped me out uh, getting a scholarship. All right, so you f you, I'm, I'm assuming you finished at Texas Southern, is that I right? I finished Texas Southern, but one of the key things that uh, I was able to do at Texas Southern was uh, the 2002-2003 football season ended with the Super Bowl being here in Houston. We just had NRG built, and we were going to showcase Houston's Super Bowl. So that was the uh, Carolina Panthers and the New England Patriots. And another thing interesting that people will remember about that particular Super Bowl is the Janet Jackson incident. So not to delve into that too much, but if you've seen the Super Bowl halftime show, there were two bands featured from Houston that were in that show. It was the uh, U of H Cougars, and it was the Texas Southern Tigers. So I actually marched the Super Bowl show where we featured the song, The Way You Move by Outkast. And we were the intro into, I think it was three or four acts, including um, Nelly, uh, P. Diddy, uh, Kid Rock, and then Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. So that yeah. was pretty interesting. That was pretty cool to be around. And that whole week that we prepped and did that, uh, you met a lot of interesting people, superstars, Hall of Fame legends. So it was a really nice experience. So I got to say, I'm going to take a break right here and just say, like, this is this is what – I love about Houston and have found in my 12 years here. It's like the the people and the experiences that those people have. It's I, I would challenge anybody that's listening to this. If anybody knew that that you were a a musician, b a drum major, c could touch your head to the ground behind your behind <laughs> your back, and then played in the Super Bowl and had those experiences, it doesn't take you very. It doesn't take you having to go very far to find really, really fascinating people, okay. right? Okay, so then, and I, I know this about you just because we've talked. So your your family has uh, is in the restaurant business, is that yeah. right? So uh, so going back to my uncle, and when I started uh, when I started elementary school in the uh, Maryland area, my uh, my uncle has um, restaurants. He has uh, supermarkets and um, restaurants, taquerias in Spanish. Um, in the Bel Air area. So one of them is on uh, the 6200 block of Bel Air. That's his uh, first store and restaurant that he opened up. He also has uh, one in the Beechnut area, one in the Gulfgate area on Winkler. And he has a club that he owns on Fondren and Richmond. It's a salsa club, one of the premier salsa clubs in Houston. So. All right, well, just so quick, quickly get us in, because I, I know you were a little later getting into law enforcement, right? So I know you do sort of do the family business for a while. So how did you get into, the, into law enforcement, the police force? Right, so um, I, I, I wouldn't say I got stuck, but I was, you know, running the family business for a while. I was running the two stores and restaurants on Bel Air. And, I mean, time just passed by. I ended up getting married right at 21 years old. Uh, had my uh, son uh, like a year later. Had my daughters two years after that. And, I mean, just time kind of just stood still. So then afterwards, I never lost the niche of wanting to help people, wanting to help the community. So uh, my uncle encouraged me to follow my dream. And I applied to the academy in, I guess, January of 2015. Uh, got accepted on my first pass-through. Usually uh, folks go about two or three times getting rejected and then are able to get in. So I started the academy in July of 2015. And um, so 
So you're and you did you graduated with a degree in political science, Correct. is that right? Okay, so you're you're uh, you're interested in criminal justice, you know. So it's always in the back of your mind. It's, yes, sir, it is. Yeah. So uh, yeah, of course, you know, political science is basically just a fancy criminal justice degree. You take a lot of classes, um, so you're basically geared around the law, what the law's been, concepts of law, different things like that. So, I mean, you're either going to go into politics or you're going to do something in the realm of you know yeah. criminal justice. So, uh, so part of the, part of the podcast is to kind of dig into mentoring, and I know you told me a great story about the the past chief of police, Chief Acevedo, right. and um, I, I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth about whether he was a great mentor or you, but you told me a story about how you know he did invest some time in you, and it was really kind of the result of a mistake that you had made, right? And so some, something we talk about in education, right? Kids never want to make mistakes. Parents never want their kids to make mistakes. But we all know, you know, you you tend to learn more from the mistakes you make. So do you want to just give us a general? Because I know he really did invest in you, right? Yeah. So um, I, I met the chief um, actually um, at the Super Bowl that we had just uh, recently in twenty, I think twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. And um, he had just came on the department, just got hired by the mayor. So maybe about two months later, I had an incident with uh, use of force. And um, by policy standards, I understand where he was coming from. But uh, that incident had finalized by me meeting with the chief just so that he could hear the details from my point of view, and we go from there. So the wrap-up and the synopsis of that was basically he put a challenge towards me. He didn't want me to see this as he was reprimanding me and that I did something wrong. It was more of a learning experience, and he challenged me to do better and to come out better from this situation. And through the course of my career after that, and this was literally I had maybe a year and a half on, so I was still a brand-new officer. Um, so. After after that happened, um, I began uh, being more proactive at the station that I'm at now, and I was able to rack up maybe 25 to 30 commendations in that time period. And this is from supervisors acknowledging that exemplary work had been done and the way the commendations work is they're forwarded to your commander who is in charge of your station, in which he forwards it to the chief that's in charge of his region, and then it reaches Chief Acevedo's desk. So he had to acknowledge that this was something he was signing and it had my name and payroll over it. Mm -hmm. So when he was meeting with all of the, um, I guess, religious, uh, religious heads of various organizations after the Pittsburgh incident, mm -hmm. um, they met at a uh, synagogue in Maryland called Congregation Beth Israel. And there you had the mayor, you had the chief, and you had... Um, I think precinct one constable Alan Rossum and a couple of other dignitaries and I saw the chief in passing and he acknowledged me by my name and I thought that was really weird because the 5,600 5, officers that he has you know at his disposal he's like hey how you doing officer Garcia it's like okay so um, when he got the Miami job I kind of felt it in my heart that you know I was going to take the promotion exam, and he wasn't going to be here to, you know, see me promote. And I kind of wanted it to come full circle because uh, in regards to what had happened and the issue that had taken place, I wanted it to be the next time he saw me, he's given me a sergeant badge. He's, you know, commending me on all my hard work. So I took it upon myself to send him an email, and I'm like, hey, Chief, congratulations on the spot. You know, best of luck in Miami. 
However, it's kind of somber because I wanted you here for this, you know, when I promote. Mm -hmm. So I know he's busy, he's transitioned to moving and all that stuff, so I didn't really think he was going to get back to me. Well, four hours later, I get an email. Mm -hmm. I know you're going to do it. I've been keeping tabs on you. You're a great guy. You're like the definition of what you should be doing when, you know, you get in trouble and you rise to the occasion, do what you're supposed to do. Let me know when you promote, and I'll make sure to acknowledge it. That's great. So yeah, so that that's awesome. That's great. I think uh, you know sometimes you know sometimes mentoring can come from the most uh, you know unforeseen spots, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so is there is there somebody else like it's? I mean, and I, th I hope what people appreciate in this conversation is like you you're a multi talented guy, <laughs> right? And and but there's so you know what I'm getting from this conversation is this sort of in in some ways kind of a single minded pursuit to to the profession where you can you know help the community help other people right correct so you know and you get little interesting diversions along the way you're going to do yeah. music you go work in the family business but is there somebody like from you know maybe from when you're in high school to when you you know finally were able to realize your dream and, and become a police officer somebody in there that really was a great mentor for you somebody who really gave you know inspired you to you know follow your dream so there's a there's a couple of guys so um one, like what I work now is I work an extra job. Uh, it's outside of the city that uh, I have to be permitted to work. So I work with you guys here. Well, when we had the restaurants and the stores, we also had HPD that worked extra jobs there. So a couple of guys that come to mind are uh, a friend of mine, uh, Amado Huerta. He was an officer uh, doing motorcycle patrol. And then you had another guy named Mario Valles. And these guys were always there. They were our regulars there. Uh, they knew I had an interest in law enforcement. And when my uncle finally figured that I wasn't going to take over the family business, that his <laughs> son was going to have to do it, uh, he kind of geared those guys to kind of talk to me and give me the real world, don't sugarcoat it, all the facts, do a ride-along, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of get a concept and a grasp of what actually police work entailed. And I became friends with those guys. I still know them to this day. And... Yeah, they were the ones that kind of geared me and showed me exactly what you'd be doing, that it's not, you know, the running and gunning, you know, stuff that you see on TV, that it's it's helping people. It's paperwork, a lot of paperwork. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, you know, doing things by the book. It's making sure that, you know, the interest and the underlying reason that you're in this department is to help people. Yeah, so um, so this is interesting. I think there's been an element of the next question I'm going to ask you in every one of the podcasts, right? It's a little bit of, you know, sort of what do you what do you wish people knew about, you know, what you do that's that's maybe not advertised that much. So like, you know, when we when we talk to Joe Carlgard, who is an athletic director at Rice, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, okay, what 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 do you wish people knew about what being a college athletic director in in a pandemic is about? And it's I mean it's just things that they have to navigate are crazy, right? So I mean it's t it's kind of tough to be a police officer right now. I mean let's let's be honest, right? I mean there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot there's a, a I think a tendency towards seeing the worst because that's kind of what we see on media. So what do you wish? What do you wish people knew? I mean it sounds like there's a lot more paperwork, right? <laughs> but what do you wish people knew about being a police officer? today that maybe it's not broadcast all that much i think just the uh just the fact that you know we're getting called out at the worst moment in somebody's life 
typically it's an incident, whether it be an accident or, you know, an act of criminal violence. You know, these people are at their lowest and, you know, most of the times it's just comforting them. It's talking to them. It's, you know, building a rapport. It's showing that you're a person, not a badge. And then it's that rapport that you get with them when you see them down the road, you know, having to either, you know, testify in a case or you're talking to them in regards to uh, the outcome of that situation. It's just building that and then having them come back to you and tell you, like, you know what, on that day, you treated me like a person, you know, you, you stood out because the way you acted. It's those little interactions that, that what I keep and that what I think people should see that we do on a daily basis. Yeah, so, I mean, we say this a lot at the school, you know, talk to teachers a lot about how we're in the relationship business, you know, and the, the, the means by which we forge those relationships is, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, right? So, I mean, I think most people who have interacted with you here would say you're in the relationship business too, yeah. right? Yeah, oh, definitely. But it's, I had never really thought about the challenge of sort of, forging that relationship or the first opportunity you have sometimes to forge that relationship is when somebody has either you know done something wrong or they're like you say they're at their lowest point yeah right so what how does how does that complicate you know you being in the relationship business so of course when somebody does something wrong and you know we're all you know we all make mistakes in our life and sometimes it's you know it's you know by their means of you know economic uh, disparities or you know it's just they don't have role models in their life or you know it could be anything because um, you know a single parent household's rough to navigate and the funny thing is I have four brothers and three of them are on police departments oh, wow. well we didn't have anybody before us you know in the law enforcement industry so that's just crazy how three of us became police officers but it's just you know getting to know those people, letting them know that it's it's not what you did, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And then, you know, we have city cell phones. We just recently got these, but I've given them my number to people before if they, you know, they might need somewhere to work. They might need somebody to um, attest to what kind of person they are, reference-wise or something like that. So it's just being able to go out of your way and telling somebody, hey, yeah, I know this guy. He might have made a mistake, but, you know, he's, he's, he knows what he did, and he's willing to make amends, and he's going to do what he needs to do to get back on the right track. Great. No, I definitely – I think the human side of uh, police officers and police work um, is uh, – it's hard, it's hard to find that being broadcast. Uh, and so hopefully in, in, the, in the podcast and, and when people – pass by you and the other officers that we have, they realize you guys are human beings and you are in the relationship business. I wouldn't be surprised, Mike, if the next time somebody sees you, they ask you to do the head touch behind <laughs> you guys. So you need to be prepared for that. Well, let me, let me finish up with just sort of a couple of times you mentioned, uh, you know, being the only Hispanic uh, in a, in a, I'm just saying a different ethnic environment. I think you mentioned uh, high school and then, and then college. Um, you know, wh- when you look back on those experiences what um, you know? What do you what do you draw from those? You know, because I think for for a guy, for a guy looks like me, white guy, you know, middle aged white guy. There there not been very many experiences where I've been in the ethnic minority, right? So what what skills or what you know? What do you draw from those experiences today? So um, one of the uh, one of the main things that I kind of always fall back on, especially in my line of work, 
is just being able to relate to people. So coming from a single-person household with a lot of my friends in high school and uh, college, either not knowing one of their parents or both, uh, you can kind of relate to how somebody perceives people, trust, you know, what, what those people are going to think of them, the perception they're going to have, and then just the, uh, I guess, just the insecurities and the body armor they put on going in any situation. So when you're dealing with um, a police situation, you're going to be extra guarded. You're going to be more resilient to talk to this person, even if you are the one that's the victim of a crime. So being able to just be vocal with somebody, break down those barriers, you know, kind of relate to them, you know, kind of let them know that you're, you know, you're from Houston, you're from those schools, you know, you understand what's going on. It, it helps a lot with breaking down those barriers and getting what you need to try to either help those people through the situation or catch somebody that needs to be off the streets. Great. Mike, it is, it is fascinating to talk to you. I appreciate your time. You know, we, took, we took Mike off duty. We're not going to let Commander Campbell know. He doesn't, he doesn't listen to the <laughs> podcast anyway. But, uh, no, I hope people appreciate, uh, A, that, uh, you know, the reason why you're in this you know, really is, always has been to help people yes, and sir. to serve the community, right? And then, uh, you know, I hope this puts a real, you know, human face on, on the badge. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, people are probably going to want to see the dance moves. <laughs> now, I will say we've been a little disappointed. Mike does not work on Fridays, and we do have, Music you know, days. Friday Dance Day. Uh, we try to maybe work that, work that out, but... Uh, you know, we are, we're so grateful that you're part of the community. I think you said, this is this your third year working here at Yes, sir. Yes, yep. it is. Well, we hope that that continues, and uh, hope folks enjoy getting to know you a little bit through the podcast. So thanks a lot, Mike. Thank Take you care. very much, guys. Yeah, you too. Absolutely.